Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. It says, When Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. We're going to spend our whole time tonight in these verses to get some more. We looked at them a little bit last week. We're going to get some more from this tonight. John the Baptist is in prison, and he's having doubts as to whether or not Jesus is the Christ. Now, before we even get into the why he's having doubts, I need to remind you that if there was anybody on the earth at that time that knew who Jesus was, it'd be John the Baptist. If you remember when he was in his mother's womb, when Mary's voice was heard, he jumped in her womb. Go to John chapter 1. Let's let the scripture show us how much he knew who Jesus was. In John chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, the scripture says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Jump down to verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. They said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came, baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend on him. So I descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the, Holy, with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. So we see very clearly that Jesus, and you can go to the very next verse, the next day John again was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said a second time, Behold, the Lamb of God. So, did John know who Jesus was? Well, go to John chapter 3. Look at verses 22 through 30. John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. 
John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. He who comes after comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Now, so here we see very clearly that John knew who Jesus was. He had been sent by God to testify to him. It had been confirmed to him that he was the one at the baptism, because that was when he was told, the one you see the Spirit come down on, that's the one. But now John is in prison, and he's questioning whether or not Jesus really is the Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. Hopefully that helps some of you. It helps me. I don't know about you folks, but even there are times that I doubt. Have you ever had those thoughts come through your head? You know, where Satan will sometimes make you wonder and question. We're all afraid to say it, but we're human. We have them. And if John the Baptist, who knew who Jesus was, would have a time where he'd say, are you the one? Or should we look for somebody else? Don't beat yourself up too much when Satan's allowed to put those thoughts in your head a time or two. So we're going to deal tonight, though, and it's going to be very helpful for us a little bit, I hope, as to why. John doubted. Now, some would say it's probably because of the struggles that he was having in, in, in life. I mean, he was in prison. And I think maybe partially, but I think the context, and I'm going to show you that in just a second, tells us the exact reason why he was doubting. But we can deal with this real quick. Sometimes our faith weakens when we go through times of trial. Let's, let's be honest. Sometimes our faith weakens a little when we go through times of trial. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. As you know, as we're turning there to Hebrews 10, the, the book of Hebrews was written to a group of uh, Jews who had become Christians, but now they're going through struggle because of their faith and persecution, and many of them were considering going back to Judaism to avoid the persecution. And in chapter 10, verse 32, the Hebrew writer says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay." But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. When trial comes, the Bible says that it's a testing of our faith. We're going to talk about that at the end of our study. But at the same time, sometimes our faith weakens when we go through struggles. But didn't we just study last week that John's whole life had been a life of struggle? John's whole life had been a life of denying the flesh. So I don't believe that John was doubting because his, he was in prison. I don't think that that's for the reason why. If you go back to Matthew chapter 11, you see in the context right there, in the passage we read, I believe the answer is right there. Look at chapter 11, verses 
1 and 2 again. It says, When Jesus had finished the instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and their preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ. See, John is in prison now. Jesus has just come on the scene. He hasn't really begun his public ministry as much as he started to after John goes into prison. And so John doesn't get to see Jesus out there, but he's now in prison and he's hearing about it. He's hearing about the deeds or the actions of the Christ. And John had been sent to preach about what the Christ was going to come and do. And Jesus wasn't looking anything like or sounding anything like or acting anything like what the Spirit in John had said he would do. I mean, think about what the message was that John had been sent to preach about the one coming after him. John had been sent to preach a message of repentance because the Messiah was going to come and clean house. Isn't that the message that he was sent to preach? Repent. The judgment's coming. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 3. Some of you might remember it from our earlier part of our study of Matthew. In Matthew 3, look at verses 1 through 12 and look closely at what the Spirit and John was having him preach and say about what the deeds of the Messiah were going to be. It says in those days, Matthew chapter 3, verse 1, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were all going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear fruit, good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." So John's message was, y'all better get repenting and y'all better turn from your sins because the guy coming after me, the one that I've been sent to testify about, who's mightier than I, he's coming to judge. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. I mean, he's ready to cut down. He's ready to destroy his winnowing fork. His threshing uh, tools are in his hand and he's going to gather those who are righteous with him and he's going to cast off the chaff and burn them with unquenchable fire. And that was the message of John. So now Jesus, he hears about the deeds of this guy, Jesus. He was told this was the one. The one who sent him to baptize showed him this was the one. But Jesus wasn't acting in the way John thought he would. He was being nice. He was quiet. He was healing people. And forgiving their sins. I mean, <laughs> he was being known as a friend of sinners. Let me ask you a question. I want to show my hands here. How many of you in your life, Jesus has done everything in your life exactly like you thought he would? 
Exactly. John was right in what he preached. But here's where he got messed up and confused. He didn't have the whole story. See, Jesus had to remind him that there were other prophecies about the Messiah, too. Go back to chapter 11 of Matthew and look at what Jesus says in return. Again, in verse 2, John's in prison and he heard about the deeds of the Christ. He sent words by his disciples and he said to, them, to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, You go back and tell John what you hear and see. And then Jesus says, The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Well, you may not realize, and I'm hoping to be used of God to show you this tonight, is what Jesus says to John's disciples to go back and tell John is, there were other prophecies about me as well. And I'm fulfilling those. Let me show you a couple of them. Go to Isaiah chapter 61. In Isaiah chapter 61 in verses 1 and 2. We know that this is a prophecy about the coming Messiah because Luke 4 tells us that Jesus goes into his hometown in Nazareth and he is handed the scroll of Isaiah to read. He unrolls it intentionally to this part. And the Bible says he read these two verses, actually a portion of these two verses. And then he sat down and said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Chapter 61, verse 1, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to do what? To bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. Yes, the Messiah is going to come and clean house. Yes, there is a day of judgment. But as we already know, being on this side of the cross, that the Messiah had to first, according to the prophecies, come and to be the sinless servant and the suffering servant and to be the sacrifice. And he did not come to judge the first time he came to, to die for the sins of the world. But John, correctly preaching the message that he had been sent to preach, got messed up because he didn't have the whole story. Or at least he didn't understand the whole story. And Jesus says, you go back and tell John what you hear and what you see. There are other prophecies. Go with me to uh, Isaiah chapter 42. Look at verses 1 through 9. Another prophecy about the coming Messiah. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. By the way, does that sound familiar to anybody? When did, when did the father say that? A couple of times. At his baptism and when else? At his transfiguration. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, with whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice. Or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. Till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. 
Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the peoples, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring them, bring out the prisoners from the dungeon from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth. I tell you of them. So here we see when Jesus said, you go back and tell John, the blind are seeing. He's referring to this prophecy here. And the good news is being preached to the poor well, go to Matthew chapter 12. Look at verses 15 through 21. Matthew chapter 12, verse 15. They're trying to kill him at this point, And Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. And many followed him, and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make, them, make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and, God, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So was it a Surprise to the Old Testament prophets that this Messiah would be quiet and meek? No, the scripture said he wasn't going to be in his first coming, that kind of a powerful, mighty ruler that they were expecting. And so John, sitting in prison, hearing about the deeds of the Christ, is going, this doesn't match up with what I thought. You know, there were other prophecies that said he would die for the sins of the world and even die a death of crucifixion. Go back to uh, Isaiah 53. And look at verses 1 through 12. In Isaiah 53, look at verses 1 through 12. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. 
when his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many, and he makes intercession for the transgressors. So here we see another prophecy that clearly says that this coming one, this one that was chosen by God, this coming Messiah, he was actually going to be killed for the sins of the world. And he was going to be quiet. But he also, if you saw him there, it also says, talks about his resurrection after his death, after uh, his soul had made a, an offering, he shall see his offspring and prolong his days. And he's going to rise from the dead. Go to Psalm 22. Look at verse 1, and then verses 6 through 8, and then verses 14 through 18. Psalm 22, verse 1, then we're going to jump to 6 through 8, and then 14 through 18. The psalm says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Verse, verse uh, 6, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. By the way, if you know the scriptures and you know the story of his crucifixion, that's exactly what the people were saying while he was hanging on the cross, word for word. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Jump down to verse 14. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots." Folks, what I want you to hear tonight is this. When Jesus tells John's disciples to go back and tell John what they hear and see, and then he quotes Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 42 and other prophecies, he's actually saying, in essence, to John, everything's right on schedule. Everything's right on schedule. I'm doing everything that the prophecies said I would do. See, when we build our theology on only portions of the scripture instead of the whole of scripture, it'll mess us up. I want to say this to you. I want you to hear me because I deal with this as a pastor a lot. And I deal with that with pastors as well and people in leadership. Christians have a tendency to find their favorite passages, the ones they like, the ones that make them feel good, and they ignore the rest of the scriptures. And so we'll have people with theology that gets a little off because they get focused on certain things. There's some people that get, like to focus, that like we've already touched on, on some passages that talk about healing and how it's tied to faith and by his stripes we are healed. And that's all they see. Yet they don't see the other things that I shared with you last week and how some were escaped the edge of the sword and others were put to death with the sword. 
And if you only use portions of the scripture, it's going to mess you up. You need to understand the whole of scripture to be able to have a fuller understanding in the days that we live in. And John was looking at what he had been told to say and how he was going to come and he's going to judge. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. I mean, he's, he's got his threshing floor. He's going to clean it. He's going to throw away the chaff and burn it. That's true. That day is coming. But there were other things that had to happen prior to it. And I just want to encourage you, and I'll show you from a couple of passages of Scripture the importance of letting the whole of Scripture speak to you. Otherwise, it'll get you messed up. Go with me to Matthew 22. Let me give you an example how some religious leaders had their theology off and Jesus had to correct them. Matthew 22. Look at verses 23 through 33. It says, The same day Sadducees came to him, came to Jesus. By the way, it says here, the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection. And let me fill you out, fill you in a little bit. Uh, there were Pharisees and the Sadducees were the leaders. The Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection after the dead, after you died. The Sadducees didn't believe that there was a resurrection. And a lot of preachers like to make the joke, and that's why they were sad, you see. All right. And they asked him this question, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children... His brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Now remember, they're asking this question because they don't believe there's an actual resurrection. And oh, by the way, over the years, people have asked me similar questions. They throw up these, the straw man because they've already got their theology in. And they say, well, you say the scripture says this, but what about this? And Jesus' answer, I would put in your heart. Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And folks, let me just tell you, a lot of us get messed up and we get upset with God because we really don't know the scriptures and also because we don't know the power of God. A lot of us may know the scriptures, but do we really believe God's going to do what he said he'll do? We may know what the word says, but do we really, really believe it? Do we know the power of God? And then, of course, Jesus answers their theological question. He says, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. He knew what their real reason for asking was. And he says to him, the reason why you guys are off theologically is because you don't know the scriptures. Nor do you know the power of God. Go to John chapter 20. Look at verses 1 through 10. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene, this is the day Jesus rose from the dead. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. 
Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. By the way, how did Mary and the disciples feel when they dealt with the resurrection of Jesus, but they didn't know that he had risen from the dead? They're pretty messed up, weren't they? Discouraged, bewildered. Well, the scripture says that here's why, because they didn't understand the scriptures. Yeah, they thought someone had stolen his body. But let me tell you, folks, a lot of times when we get that angst, that what's going on? What's God doing? Why is this happening? It's because we really don't know the scriptures. And tonight I want to be used of God to encourage you to really begin to spend more time in the word. Because as you spend more time in the word, you'll all of a sudden see God answering things that you've wrestled with for years. And all of a sudden you go, oh, I didn't know it said that. Well, that helps with what I'm dealing with. It's amazing how God does this. And so what I want to do is I want to take you real quickly and run you through some scriptures that talk about the importance of us needing to be in the word. Go to Psalm 119. I can't force you to do this. All I can do is lead you to water. I can't make you drink. But I hope you, through the Spirit of God, ask Him to give you a hunger for His Word. Psalm 119, verse 97. David says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Look closely at what he says here. Look again at verse uh, uh, 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers. Isn't that what many of us think? That the, our Sunday school teachers or our preachers and our teachers, they know more than me. Well, how come? Why don't you? You have the ability, because Jesus is in you, and he's the one who gives understanding. You don't have to go to a seminary. You don't have to go to a Bible college. You've got it. The Bible's real clear. You can sit back and say, well, I'm not a teacher. That doesn't mean you have to be able to teach it, but you have the ability to study it and know it for yourself. And you actually can have peace when your teachers are freaking out, because you actually... Spend more time in the Word than them. I, a few uh, months ago, I was having a text conversation with this older gentleman, and uh, we were arguing theology, if you will, over text. 
And I kept using scriptures to show that what I was saying was right and what he was doing was wrong. And then he wrote back and he said, I'm older than you because he's in his 80s. He said, I'm older than you. You're supposed to listen to me. And I texted back Psalm 119, verse 100. I texted back Psalm 119, verse 100. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. And I just said to him, don't rest in the fact that you're older than me. That doesn't mean you're smarter. The one who spends time in the word. The words are older than him. The words are, that's actually really good, Glenn. I love that. The words are older than you. Yeah, they've been here. So folks, I just want to encourage you. Listen closely. If you are willing and you desire to just study it for the, for the joy of believing that it's going to give you insight, God will, and it's, it's so cool how God does this. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll fill you in on something that just happened this week. We've been praying about expanding Just to Preacher Ministries. And it's been, uh, we just, God's growing the ministry. And I've had so many people for years come to me and say, we really loved your Revelation study online. Do you have it in written form? Boy, that'd be so good if it'd be in a workbook or your daily devotionals. If we could just have that in a devotional booklet that we could have by our Bible, by the by nightstand. And I'd always say, man, that'd be awesome. But that would kill me to write it. The one book I've already written took me 10 years to get that little book out. And, I, and so we've been praying and praying. And, and long story short, we, the board just approved yesterday for us to hire a full time person. And it's actually going to be my our middle daughter, Elise is going to be coming on full-time with her gifts of publications and editing and writing. And she's actually going to be the media developer. We're actually going to have Instagram and Twitter and ways of getting things out to people. Your newsletters are going to come a lot more regular and they're going to be better because it won't be me trying to, like, oh, I haven't written a newsletter in three months, you know? Actually, and as I've been praying through this, we were praying for months about this. I was reading in the book of Peter just one Sunday morning waiting for my wife to get ready for church. And I was just sitting in my office and I was just reading through first Peter about something else. I was just felt like God wanted to talk to me about first Peter from from first Peter about something else that I was praying about. And I got all the way to the last part of first Peter. And if you go and look at the end of first Peter in the very, very end, the last little section, Peter says, with the help of Silvanus, that's Silas, I've written these things to you. And what jumped off the page to me was that God said, Jim, I use other people to write what people say. You don't have to be the one that writes it. Paul had a scribe. Paul had a scribe. And so I want, it was just so cool because as I was just reading it, he spoke to me about something we were praying about and confirmed from his word. You'll get understanding if you just begin to spend time in the word. Don't read it because if you don't read it, you're in trouble with God. No, you're just missing out on it. That's all. Let me show you a couple more. You write these down and you can double check me later on. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. It says, the, well, sorry, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed to us and to our children. In other words, there's going to be things that God won't show you and you have to be okay with that. But the things that have been revealed are for all of us. And there's much that's been revealed. Again, you're in error or you're wrong or you get anxious because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. Uh, Proverbs 25 verse 2 says this. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. It's to God's glory to hide some things from us. But it's also to our glory to go digging 
and to search. He wants us to. In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul has been talking to the Ephesian elders there in Miletus, and he's just finished warning them that after he leaves, he doesn't think he'll ever see them again, that wolves from within the flock in that church are going to rise up and try to tear away followers or disciples after themselves. And he, he's warned them with tears. And then he says this to him in Acts chapter 32, verse 20. Now I commit you to God and the word of his grace which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among the saints. In other words, he didn't give them policies on how to handle these guys. He said, I'm going to leave you with God and his word. It's enough. Did I say, what did I say? I'm sorry. Chapter 20, verse 32. I'm glad you said that. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. Also, John 17, verse 17. Jesus is praying there in the garden before the cross. And he says, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. 2 Timothy. Let's go to 2 Timothy real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look at verses 14 through 17. Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with, with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let me ask you this question. When Jesus rose from the dead that uh, first day of the week. And those two men decided because they didn't really believe the disciples would come back and said that he was risen and the women who had said they had seen angels and that they said he was risen. And they left the group and left Jerusalem and walked back to Emmaus. And as they were discouraged walking back to Emmaus and Jesus showed up and met them and walked with them and kept them from recognizing that it was there. What did Jesus do the whole time he talked with them? He took them back to the word. All he did was take them back to the word. In other words, guys, you didn't need to go through all this bellyache if you had read and known what his scripture said. Known and read what the scripture said. Folks, I, I can tell you everything, everything that you deal with in this life. It's here. It's dealt with. Your answers are here. Why was John the Baptist going through a time of questioning? Because he was only looking at portions of the prophecies about the Messiah. And Jesus wasn't looking like those prophecies at all. Why did the Jews miss him? Because they knew the prophecies about the Messiah, or some of them. And he wasn't looking anything like what they were thinking as well. Why did his own disciples who walked with him still not get it? Because even right to the last hour, they're saying, who's going to sit on your right and who's going to sit on your left in the kingdom? Because they thought the kingdom was coming right then. We all get into those times because we don't know the whole of Scripture. Folks, let God begin to take you on this fun journey. It's going to be a process. It's going to be a slow thing, but it's going to be fun as you actually allow the word to become what you meditate on throughout the day. And watch how he will speak to you in ways. And you'll go, that goes right with what I've been praying about. Thank you, Lord. And you'll have your answer. Now, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, 
uh, shares what Vance Havner loves to call the forgotten beatitude. We studied the beatitudes in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and so on. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 6, there is what Vance Havner called the forgotten beatitude. Look at what it says. It says, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus had just told his disciples, John's disciples, you go back and tell John everything's right on schedule. I'm fulfilling the other prophecies right now. And then he said, and blessed is he who is not offended by me. In other words, I'll paraphrase it for you. Blessed are those who are not thrown off by how Jesus runs his world. By the way, you've already all admitted this today that uh, he hasn't always done it the way you thought he would. And he's going to keep doing it that way because the Bible says you'll never figure him out. Uh, let me just make a quick commercial. I don't want to take you from your churches, but I, th this Sunday I'm going to be preaching at First Baptist Melbourne. The pastor there has asked me to preach because he's been doing a series through the book of Job. And he's preached two sermons in the beginning of the book of Job, and he's got two sermons at the end of the book of Job. And he called me up and he said, I've already got the title and the passages that I was going to cover, but I really feel like I need some time off. And uh, I felt like God said, you should be the one that preaches this message anyway. So would you please cover the 35 chapters, <laughs> and I'm not lying, the 35 chapters between the beginning and the end of the book of Job in 35 minutes. And so I cannot wait. I'm holding back. I'm, everything in me is keeping me from preaching it tonight. I'm so excited about what God's shown me. But we're going to deal with the fact that those three friends, this is the whole conversation between Job and the three friends. Those three friends probably would have said to you and I, I don't know what God's doing in my life, but they sure knew what God was doing in Job's life. And you all have that same tendency. If I were to ask you, do you guys fully understand what God's doing in your life? You'd all say, no, I really struggle with that sometimes. But isn't it interesting how we have no trouble telling everybody else what God's doing in their life? Whenever someone goes through something, you'd be amazed how many people. And this pastor came to me and he said, Jim, I know when you went through your cancer, you probably had a lot of Christians come up and tell you why this was happening. And I'm like, oh, yeah. He goes, you're the best person to preach this. And he said, you're also the only one I know that can cover 35 chapters in 35 minutes. So... If you're interested, Sunday from is it one at 8.30, one at 10, and another one at 11.30. I'm going to preach it three different times, but we're going to be covering those chapters. And I can't wait to show how we have a tendency to think we know what God's doing in everybody else's life. We don't. You'll never figure him out, folks. You'll never figure him out. But he will show you his will. He will show you what he wants you to do a day at a time. His word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Jesus offended a lot of people, by the way. Jesus said, blessed is he who is not offended by me. But I'm going to show you real quickly from Scripture. He offended a lot of people. He offended his own nation. Look at Romans chapter 9. Look at Romans chapter 9. Oh, yeah. They would be very offended by him. Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 33, how he offended his own nation. As it is written, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In John chapter 1, you know, in verses 10 and 11, John says he came to his own. His own people did not receive him. But those who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you know he offended the Pharisees? Look at Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, verse 12. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 12. 
Then the disciples came and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? By the way, does anybody know what Jesus' reaction was when the disciples said, don't you know what you said offended the Pharisees? Pretty much he said, who cares? He said, every plant that has not been planted by my father is going to be picked up by the roots. Let them go. They're blind leaders of the blind. But be careful because I've dealt with too many Christians who say, well, that's how I'm going to treat all the Pharisees then. Because Jesus said, who cares? I'm going to do something here. Do you know that in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night? And we love to quote John 3, 16, where, For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And we think that Jesus was standing on a hill. Do you know that that conversation probably happened, Glenn, about this far apart between Jesus and a Pharisee? It was at night. It was dark. It was secretly at night and in the dark. And probably the only way they could see each other was to be sitting this close. Let this sink in for a minute. Imagine God himself sitting right here saying, For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. That whoever, isn't that amazing? That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In other words, God himself in a loving conversation with a Pharisee said pretty much, He sent me for you. The Bible says when Martha saw Jesus after Lazarus died, he, she said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The Bible says Jesus gave her theology. Then at the same time, a few verses later, Mary comes and says the exact same words, word for word. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And the Bible says he wept with her. Folks, be real careful. Be real careful about thinking you got God figured out. And how he's dealt with you is how he's supposed to deal with everybody else. Mm -mm. I'm going to preach in that message. I'm trying hard not to preach it now. That the best way to be a friend is to point someone to who he is and what he said. And leave it at that. In love. In love say he's a good God. And I don't know what he's doing just like you don't know what he's doing. But he's a good God and he's proven it. And you just send them to him. Don't come up with answers for yourself. Because you've all admitted you don't even know what God's doing in your life half the time. Who are you to think you know what he's doing in somebody else's? You know, he offended his hometown. Go to Matthew 13. Look at verses 53 through 58. Matthew 13, verse 53. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown... He taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished. And they said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet's not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. He even offended the false disciples. Go to John chapter 6. By the way, how many of you over the years, and I don't need a show of hands for this, but I know almost every one of us probably could say, you know of Christians or those who claim to be Christians who were in church, but when God didn't do something the way that they thought he should have, like 
maybe someone died that they didn't want to die and they prayed that that person would live, whether it was a parent or a child or a spouse, they went away and they fell away because they were discouraged and offended by God and how he runs his world. Look at John chapter 6, starting in verse 60. Jesus had just said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then, it, then what if you see, were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. By the way, as you know, Jesus turned to the 12 apostles and he asked them, what about you? Are you offended and do you want to leave too? Exactly. Peter, Peter's answer was, where else would we go? Go ahead. I, I ask people almost every day, when you see somebody getting squirreled, like you said, they're doing the best they can. That's what it looks like when they have nothing to stand on. Exactly. That's what it looks like to the with nobody to stand. They just squirrel away. Where do we go? Yep. But folks, if you only hang on to the level of scripture that you have, you're not going to have the answers for the things that you don't have answers for. But the answers are here. The answers are here. I shared this with you before. I'll remind you of it. Years ago, I went through a period where I wasn't hearing from God. And it bothered me. as I, I love to talk to the Lord, and I love it when He speaks to me. And I hadn't heard from Him in a while, and it was really bothering me. So I, after my wife and kids went to bed that night, I went out on my back porch by my pool, and I love to go out and pray at night and spend time just looking at the stars. It reminds me of how big I am and how big I'm not. And as I, slayed, I stayed there a long time praying, I said, Lord, I want to hear from you. Lord, I haven't heard from you. Nothing. Finally, I went to bed and I couldn't sleep because it was just eating at me. And I thought, well, he speaks through his word. So I thought, I'm just going to go open the Bible and just read it. Now, I got to be honest with you. I did what I tell everybody never, ever to do. I did this. <laughs> and I really did. I, I just opened my Bible with my eyes closed and stuck my finger. Do you know where my finger ended up that night? On the passage in John chapter 19, where uh, Pilate says to Jesus, won't you speak to me? Because you know Jesus was silent at that time. And I stuck my finger on the exact verse where Pilate says, why aren't you talking to me? And then clear as anything, his spirit spoke to me and he said, Jim, I was silent at that moment for a reason. And I am silent now for a reason. And you have to be okay with that. And I said, okay. And I had a peace. I had a peace that came over me and I went right to sleep. Folks, we need to spend time daily meditating, thinking on his word. I, like I told you earlier, I was reading about something else and he spoke about something I was praying about. I wasn't even looking into what he was, I was praying about. And in that passage, he showed me something that I was praying about you will go through times where you don't understand what he's doing. And if you only have the scriptures that you understand, you're missing out on all the others that will bring you help and comfort. And Jesus has to take you to those. 
But he can't take you to those unless what? You've put them in. You see, the Spirit will bring to your remembrance everything that he said. You got to put it in. You got to put it in. Actually, the trials and times when Jesus allows stuff that we don't like or acts on things slower than we would like, actually, the Bible says they're being used by God to prove our faith. Go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, look at verses 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But did you catch that? If you don't go through those trials where your faith is tested, where you don't understand, and it doesn't make sense, and Jesus is doing things in ways you didn't understand or don't know why he's allowing it, why he hasn't healed you, why he hasn't fixed this situation, why we keep going through this, in those times when your faith is tested, if you don't go through them, you're going to be lacking some things that he has for you. But if you go through them and you trust him, and you don't walk away, and you say like Peter, even though I don't understand your words, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And when you say, as Job said, I'm not going to preach the sermon, I'm telling you I'm not, but Job said, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. When you stick, your faith becomes stronger, and you actually become more and more complete in all that God's trying to do. We want a life with no struggle. We want a life with no back pain where I can preach standing up instead of sitting down. And trust me, I've been praying for over a week now and every kind of thing I can think of. For his reasons, he's saying no. And I have to trust him on that. And I need to keep going. Of course, two or three are going to come up afterwards and say, here's what you need to do. But <laughs> you don't know what God's doing in my life right now. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I already heard someone say chiropractor out there. I've already done that. <laughs> That's one of those things I've tried. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Look closely. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Folks, the stuff we're going through, when God doesn't answer the way we think he should, when he's acting in ways that don't match up with our theology, are times that our faith is being tested to prove our faith genuine. I asked you earlier, how many of you, if God's done everything in your life, Jesus worked every time in the way you thought he would, none of you raised your hand, then why are you still here? 
Why are you at Bible study on a Wednesday night? Why are you here? Because where else would you go? He has the words of eternal life. And you believe and know that he is the Holy One of God. And even though you don't understand it all, you still will follow. And he will give you peace and joy. Your faith has been proved genuine. I shared with you how Vance Havner called that passage, the verse, chapter 11, verse 6, the, the forgotten beatitude. He did so in a famous sermon that he preached on that passage of Scripture. If you were to go back and find that sermon, you will find that when he preached from Matthew 11, 1 through 6, it was on a Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. What happened that same Sunday morning at 2.30 in the morning was his wife passed away. His wife passed away at 2.30 in the morning, and he preached that morning at 11. And everybody said, we didn't expect you to preach today. We thought you would take today off. And he said, if my faith doesn't work at a time like this, it's not real. If I have to take a day off from preaching because my wife just died, then my faith is not real. And then he preached from that passage where you go through times where you say, are you the one or should we look for another and as you're going to see next week when we come back, what Jesus says next is amazing. Jesus has just heard, as if you're going to look in the context next week, if you want to read ahead, you'll see that Jesus was standing in front of a crowd of people teaching them when John the Baptist's disciples come up and ask this question in front of the crowd. John the Baptist wants to know, are you the one or should we look for another? And if you look, Jesus, after he sends the disciples back, saying everything's right on schedule and don't be offended by how I run my world, he then turns back to the crowd, realizing that John has looked pretty wishy-washy now to that crowd. And Jesus turns to the crowd and says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? Did you go out to see a reed swayed by the wind? No, you went out to see a prophet. And I'm going to tell you, of men born of women, none have risen greater than John the Baptist. When John said the lowest thing he ever said about Jesus, Jesus said the greatest thing he ever said about John. I can't wait to show you why next week. I love you. We'll see you then.